Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Hello and welcome to a History of Europe Picky Battles podcast. My name is Carl Rylett and today I'll be continuing the story of the First World War. We're now approaching the end of our story of the First World War. This is part 18 of 19, entitled The Endgame. In spring 1918, a massive German offensive made significant territorial gains, but ultimately not the intended breakthrough, and the Allied forces stood firm. Exhausted and demoralised at the scale of casualties, the Germans were pushed back in their major counter-attack in the late summer and autumn. And on the 26th of September, the Allies launched a general offensive along the entire Western Front. The German commander, Erich Ludendorff, panicked, and told Kaiser Wilhelm he thought the war was lost, and if catastrophe was to be averted, an armistice must be concluded as quickly as possible. The situation of the other central powers looked even worse than that of the Germans. When the Austrian Emperor Karl I had ascended the throne in November 1916, he had symbolised hope to an empire in distress. He had good intentions, recognising the urgent need for internal reform, and was prepared to work to set his stamp on government. However, he made mistakes, including on the first day of his reign, when he agreed to an early coronation as King of Hungary. In so doing, he had to respect the provisions of the dualist system between Austria and Hungary, which therefore made reform of the empire impossible without reneging on this oath. Pressure was building for greater autonomy, even independence for the various ethnic groups in the empire. There was a growing movement for Slavs to unite under one separate nation, another for Czechs to join with the neighbouring Slovaks, and another for Romanian speakers in Hungary to join Romania. Austrian Galicia was in complete chaos, with native Poles and Ukrainians divided, but both increasingly less inclined to look for a future within the Austro-Hungarian Empire. Meanwhile, the economy was in dire straits, with shortages of many kinds, and a massive increase in the cost of living. The lack of coal meant that people did not have fuel, even for heat, and strict bread rations were imposed for soldiers and civilians alike. 
major strikes hit Austria in May 1917, and flared up repeatedly afterwards. In June 1918, workers at the state railway factory in Budapest were fired upon by the military, and the next day, 500,000 workers around Hungary joined in protests that lasted nine days until they were finally suppressed. Karl I was serious about seeking peace and was irritated by German rejection of negotiations. Soon after his accession, he had reached out to Britain and France via his brother-in-law, Prince Sixtus of Bourbon-Parma, and signalled he was willing to support a peace whereby Germany would give Alsace-Lorraine to France and as compensation, Austria-Hungary would give Galicia to Germany. He also offered Serbia access to the sea and Trentino to Italy. However, he had no leverage to bring his ally, Germany, to surrender Alsace-Lorraine, and he had no wish to seal a separate peace with his Western enemies. The British and French governments were interested in discussions, but the Italian Foreign Minister, Cindy Sonino, refused to negotiate when the enormous gains his countries had been promised for entering the war in 1915, and negotiations stalled. when in April 1918, the Austrian Foreign Minister, Count Ottokar von Chernin, made a speech declaring his country would back Germany to the hilt, even over Alsace-Lorraine. The infuriated French leader, Georges Clemenceau, revealed Karl's earlier peace offer. It was a great humiliation for the Emperor, which briefly shook his alliance with Germany. A humiliating trip to the German headquarters at Spa, and Karl's surrender of foreign and economic policy laid bare the subjection of the Habsburg state. The irony was that in some ways, in the early summer of 1918, the Habsburg Empire was in a good position. It no longer faced an immediate threat from its most dangerous rival, Imperial Russia. Serbia and the south of Poland were under occupation, while a favourable treaty had been signed with defeated Romania in May 1918, and the Italians were on the back foot after that rout of the Battle of Caporetto. Emperor Karl and the Austrian government must have sorely wanted a peace agreement as soon as possible so they could attend to their domestic crises, but they were unwilling to do so without agreement from Germany. The Austrians later argued that this would have risked German troops turning on the Empire, but whether Berlin could have spared the men for this is doubtful. The problem was, writes Alexander Watson, by sticking to their ally, Habsburg leaders, guaranteed they would lose out whatever the outcome of the war. If Germany won, they would be destined to become a German satellite. But if Germany lost, the empire's very existence was under threat. Part of Austria's problem was the hardening of the Allied position. In January 1918, the American president, Woodrow Wilson, had advocated in his 14 points speech a federal Austria-Hungary whose people, quote, should be accorded the freest opportunity to autonomous development, end quote. In June, however, Wilson had shifted to advocate that all branches of the Slav race should be completely free from German and Austrian rule. Meanwhile, there was great unrest as well in Bulgaria. During the war, the cost of living had rocketed, and the harvest of 1917 and 1918 yielded much less grain than usual. 
In late 1917, a rally in Sofia to call for the end of the war had attracted 10,000 protesters. And early in 1918, there was a mounting tide of social unrest with protests throughout the country. Many Bulgarians were on the verge of starvation, and some in Macedonia perished of malnutrition. Bulgarian soldiers also suffered shortages of food, ammunition and clothing. Their morale collapsed, and when the French and British units launched an offensive on the Macedonian front from Salonika on the 15th of September, their resistance broke. The French and Serbs smashed through the Bulgarian lines at Dobro Pole, while British and Greek troops pierced their defences at Lake Doiran. Within a few days, most of the Bulgarian army had collapsed, and on the 25th of September, the Bulgarian government sued for peace. Four days later, Bulgaria, the last country to join the Central Powers, became the first of Germany's allies to exit the war, when the Bulgarian delegation signed an armistice at Salonika. They agreed to full demobilisation of their army, and the complete evacuation of all Greek and Serbian territories conquered during the war, including Macedonia, a territory Bulgaria has laid claim to since its independence in the late 19th century. Bulgaria's defeat was one of several signs that the Central Powers were on the verge of losing the war. The Allies had now broken the land connection between the Ottoman Empire and the rest of the Central Powers, paving the way for an attack on Constantinople from the west, and Habsburg occupied Serbia from the east. The Central Powers had no more spare troops available to reinforce threatened front lines. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number smart beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number limited edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Meanwhile, the Italian public were determined to avenge the shame of the country's defeat at the Battle of Caporetto on the 17th of November 1917. The tide began to turn in the Italians' favour 
of the so-called Battle of Piave, which had begun on the 15th of June with a poorly prepared Habsburg offensive. The Italian army stubbornly resisted, now coordinated by General Armando Diaz, who had been appointed the country's supreme commander after the Battle of Caporetto. The Austrians lost over 142,000 men dead or wounded in the offensive, while 25,000 of their soldiers were taken prisoner. The Austrian government could no longer compensate for such losses with new recruits. On the 14th of September, Emperor Karl I of Austria publicly appealed to President Wilson for peace terms and tried to preempt ethnic disintegration by declaring the Habsburg Empire a federal state. However, French and British leaders were suspicious that this move might simply be an attempt to divide the Allies, while the Americans responded that peace terms had already been communicated and so any further discussions were superfluous. It was becoming clear that the Austro-Hungarian Empire was crumbling and with German troops pinned down on the Western Front, there was no prospect of reinforcements for the Austrians on the Italian Front. General Diaz acted cautiously and hesitated to attack despite being urged on by the British and French. Finally, in October 1918, Diaz gave his consent and ordered an advance across the river Piave. Within five days, the Habsburg army was in full retreat, and at least 300,000 men and 24 generals were captured. On the 30th of October, Italian troops were able to enter the town of Vittorio Veneto and proclaimed victory. The Habsburg Empire was fast falling apart at the seams, as various nationalities declared independence. On the 28th of October, the founding of Czechoslovakia was declared in Prague. The day after, the Croatian Parliament formally renounced the rule of the Habsburgs and handed over power to a national council, declaring that a new sovereign state of Slovenes, Croats and Serbs was in existence. The announcement clearly signalled the imminent creation of a Yugoslav state. Against this backdrop, the Hungarian government decided on the 1st of November to recall its troops, which accelerated the collapse of the rest of the Habsburg army. The day after, on the 2nd of November, the Austrian High Command conceded defeat and offered an armistice to the Allies, although by then the Habsburg Empire had effectively already ceased to exist. By then, another central power, the Ottoman Empire, had also accepted defeat, with the armistice of Mudros signed on the 30th of October. Although in 1917 the Turks had benefited from the Russian Revolution and had conquered territory in the Caucasus previously lost to Imperial Russia, they suffered significant losses elsewhere. After losing Baghdad and Jerusalem in 1917, a further British offensive on the Palestinian front launched on the 19th of September, defeated Ottoman forces north of Jerusalem. Ottoman troops raided en masse, deserting in thousands and retreating in total disorder. By the 1st of October, Allied troops had advanced into Damascus, and on the 26th of October, an Anglo-Indian force, accompanied by Arab rebels, captured Aleppo in northern Syria. Another British army headed to Constantinople, the Ottoman capital, from the north after defeating the Bulgarian army. The Turkish CUP government that had led the country into war resigned and fled 
on a German warship, while a new Liberal government, swiftly appointed by the Sultan, Mehmet VI, sent word to the Allies that it wanted peace. The armistice of Mudras was followed by the occupation of Constantinople and the subsequent partitioning of the Ottoman Empire, bringing about the demise of one of the longest-lasting empires in history. The House of Osman had ruled the Ottoman domain since the early medieval ages. Already by the time the armistice was signed, the Ottoman Empire's Arab provinces, from Mesopotamia to Palestine, from Syria down to the Arabian Peninsula, had already separated. In the east, the Armenians proclaimed an independent democratic republic, and the Kurds were also demanding a state of their own. By the beginning of November, the last of the central powers remaining at war was Germany, whose army still managed to hold off the Allies for more than a month after the collapse of the Bulgarian Allies. Nevertheless, the German leaders realised that defeat was by now inevitable. They accepted that, in any deal, they would be required to surrender Belgium and Alsace-Lorraine, but they still hoped to retain their conquests in the east, arguing there would be a bulwark against the dangers of Bolshevism. On the 3rd of October, Kaiser Wilhelm appointed as Chancellor a moderate by the name of Prince Max of Baden. The day after, Baden established a note directly to President Wilson, requesting a conclusion of hostilities. The reply from Washington was cautious, but not hostile, seeking clarification on whether the German government was now the representative of the people's will, and whether it accepted the 14 points Wilson had set out as a statement of principles for peace in January. However, German hopes for a reasonably favourable peace were soon dashed. The president's position hardened substantially, under pressure from allies and American hardliners, and following the untimely sinking of a British passenger ship, the Leinster, by a German U-boat on the 10th of October, with the loss of 450 lives, including some Americans. In a second note, Wilson protested against what he called the continuation of illegal and inhumane practices by German forces. He also demanded, as a condition for negotiation, that Germany should transform herself into a constitutional state. Maximilian of Baden rushed through a series of constitutional reforms, making the German Reichstag a sovereign body, elected on universal suffrage by secret ballot with all government ministers responsible to it. The Kaiser found himself reduced to the status of a constitutional monarch, as in Britain. But it was all too late, and the problems on the German home front were quickly escalating. What is known as the German Revolution began on the 29th of October 1918, when sailors in the port of Wilhelmshaven mutinied against an order to sail to confront the British Navy. Unrest spread to the naval base at Kiel, where shipyard workers joined in, and together they demanded peace at any price and the immediate abdication of the Kaiser. Within days, the unrest became a full-blown revolution, as it spread and reached several other ports, including Bremen and Lübeck. On the 7th of October, thousands of protesters rallied in Munich in a socialist demonstration. In Dresden, the capital of Saxony, the king abdicated after mass demonstrations, ending the rule of the House of Wettin in Saxony. Beginning with the ageing Ludwig III, whose House of Wittelsbach had ruled Bavaria for over a thousand years, 
Germany's 22 kings, princes and dukes were deposed without resistance. By midday on the 9th of November, only the King of Prussia and Emperor of Germany, Wilhelm II, remained. Wilhelm resisted, arguing to use the army to suppress the popular revolt, but he was eventually persuaded to abdicate and to go into exile in Holland. In the early hours of the 11th of October 1918, a German delegation signed the Armistice Agreement to end the Great War. The terms were largely dictated by the French and hard to accept for a country which, only a few months earlier, had assumed that victory was within reach, a victory which would vindicate the immense sacrifices of four long years. The German army was obliged to immediately evacuate all invaded territory on the Western Front. The Allies were to occupy all German territory on the left bank of the Rhine and a 10 kilometer belt on the right bank. All the territory in Eastern Europe had to be surrendered and the Allied blockade would continue until the final signing of peace. Six hours later, at 11am, the armistice came into effect, and at long last the guns on the Western Front fell silent. Among the peoples of the victorious nations, especially France and Britain, there was unrestrained joy at the news that peace had finally arrived. The Great War, or World War I as it is now called, was an appalling human tragedy. Writes Peter Hart, over the four years and three months of conflict, around two million Germans died, along with more than a million Austro-Hungarians, 770,000 Ottomans and 87,500 Bulgarians. For the Allies, the numbers around two million Russians, 1,400,000 French, 1,115,000 from the British Empire, 650,000 Italians, 250,000 Romanians, and 116,000 Americans. In addition of all combatants, roughly 21 million were injured. Some recovered relatively unscathed, but many were scarred or maimed for life. Nor do these figures take into account the mental trauma suffered by the soldiers and the affected civilians. My name is Card Rydert and you've been listening to a History of Europe Key Battles podcast. Feel free to leave comments on the Facebook page or you can write to me directly at carl, that's C-A-R-L, at historyeurope.net. It's always great to hear from you. Next time in the final episode, I talk about the conclusion of the First World War and the Treaty of Versailles. I hope you can join me then. Until then, all the best and goodbye.